<laughs> all right. So, so what were you saying? Oh, I, well, you know, first of all, I was saying how nice it is that we're finally getting around to finishing this. <laughs> so when, when did we release our last episode? I, I don't know. I, I don't really want to look at it. I think it was probably about six months ago or something at like that. At least. I think I originally watched this movie in August. Right. Um, I, hi, everybody out there listening to the <laughs> podcast. I had a minor operation, which was fine back in summer. But after that, uh, things got kind of behind schedule for me. And we just never got around to uh, finishing up. Uh, and, and at the same time, Phil, your, your, uh, your live show for... Uh, for Deep in Bear Country really took off and really right. uh, took a lot of your time. It really did. It really, it was interesting how like just a sort of these events just sort of came together. And I guess the, the Beverly Cleary podcast just sort of like was the thing that had to go by the wayside. <laughs> well, we were almost done. I mean, we were done with the, with the, the kids the, the 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 chapter books. Well, and I think that's what made it so like weird is if we were in the middle of the books, it would have just been like, well, they're taking a hiatus. But this was like we were like within sight of the finish line. And then it's like, you know what? We're going to drop out just for a while. <laughs> well, at what better time to start it up again when then with all of us pinned up at home? Yes. Uh, all of America uh, hunkered down. Uh, and now is a good time to be thinking about Beverly Clary or anything uh, other than the news. Right. So I, I worry about Beverly Cleary and I hope she's okay. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I, I really, I, I really do. I, 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 I just hope she lives forever. I, and, well, and it's funny because like we're recording this on the day that Stephen Sondheim is celebrating his 90th birthday. And I'm like, Beverly Cleary was like, into her teens when Stephen Sondheim was born. <laughs> Now, why did Stephen Sondheim never do a musical adaptation of Beverly Cleary? That seems like the obvious choice. Uh, because I think at the time there was no child who could possibly wrap their mouths around a Sondheim <laughs> lyric. <laughs> Especially at the era when like he would have been writing a Ramona musical. Because right. it would have involved like it would have been like what, like the 19, maybe 60s, 70s. Right. And that's kind of when he was at his most like verbose well maybe he would have written a musical um from the point of view of mr quimby <laughs> oh my goodness quimby the musical <laughs> that seems like something that andrew lloyd weber would have done in like 1993 yeah no no andrew lloyd weber would have done socks this <laughs> speaking of relevant references <laughs> So anyway, um, we we only have a few more of these episodes to go, and we're going to try and and wrap this uh, series up with a nice little bow. And one of the things, one of the dangling threads that we left was what we're going to talk about this time: the the 2010 adaptation of the Ramona books called Ramona and Beezus. Such a strange title. Right, which is not a title of any of the books. Uh, there was Beezus and Ramona. Mm -hmm. There were many Ramona books. Um, and Beezus isn't really the second main character in this. Well, if you had seen the uh, television spots for this, you would have thought that Beezus was the main character. Oh, of course. If you saw the poster, you'd think that too. This stars uh, Selena Gomez as Beezus right at sort of the height of Selena Gomez's. Uh, she had been on, what was she on? She was on Barney. Wizards of Waverly Place. W Wizards of Waverly Place, which I, again, I never watched. I my no. kids. My kids were not, uh, you know, when you have kids, you are aware of uh, of, of kid culture for a while, but you're only <laughs> aware of that little window of kid culture that follows your child's age through that that period. There is the uh, there are all those uh, hackneyed jokes about dads still thinking that uh, Barney is relevant. Yes. Because 
Barney was relevant when when your kids were that age. Well, what's funny is I do have a cultural touchstone for the witches of Waverly Place because Ollie, uh, my child who is now a freshman in college, uh, watched the witches of Waverly Place. I never saw it, but she would mention it every so often. And it was the first time I, as a father, ever did that father thing where I intentionally got the name of the show wrong just to annoy my child. So I used to call it the I used to call it the witches of Waverly Averly to my like to my like eight year old child. I'd be like, oh, you're watching that witches of Waverly Averly. And she'd get really frustrated. And then I was like, oh, every time my dad did this, he was doing it on purpose. And that was my first like revelation about being an adult. Like, this is how I'm showing I don't care about your stupid show. I did (laughs) not know that Selena Gomez was in it. I did not know who she was at the time. Well, around the time this movie came out, uh, Selena Gomez also had a really big, um, I gather, a a really big recording uh, career. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know any of her songs. I don't I don't think she could name any of her songs. <laughs> They're like the most forgettable. She was this was around. She and like Justin Bieber kind of like were hitting it at the same time. Uh, they were both like baby faced, uh, like super friendly pop singers that came out of like that were made popular by the youth. This movie has a strange tone to it when we'll get into it. You know, it is it is largely made up of moments from the various Ramona books. Oh, when uh, when I, I watched it with Mitzi, who is who is nine years old. And at the end of it, I said, huh. It's like they had the choice to adapt a Ramona book. And then Mitzi just said, and they adapted every Ramona book. Here's a reference that the kids will love. It's like the Majora's Mask of uh, <laughs> uh, of, yes. of Ramona books. It's like they took all these little bits and pieces and they mixed them up in, in a strange and unsettling way. Yeah, it's a good thing there are no children listening to this. <laughs> it, it, would, it would be like it's it, it would be like if they tried to like take every Harry Potter story and just do them all as one movie within one year at Hogwarts. <laughs> but like most of this stuff doesn't actually have much bearing on the plot. It's just there because you're expecting it. But on top of that all, there's a tone to this film mm-hmm. which fits in with that. It, w- it was 2010 and it, it does fit in with the other f- uh, kids' films that I saw for that decade. My my kids were watching, you know, some kids' films more <laughs> towards the, the front of the, the decade. Yeah. And I, I always think of that decade as sort of getting kicked off with Spy Kids, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. which 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 is which is uh, two thousand and one. And um, the reason I think it is getting kicked off with that is films became very broad. And very silly and effects heavy and people behave not like people, but like cartoons. Right. And that's not a I I say that and I don't want anyone to think I think that's a bad thing. I think that that's just a different way of being a movie. I love I love a lot of movies where that are broad and silly and have characters that are larger than life cartoons but it's a strange choice with Ramona which is known for its interiority and mm-hmm. its psychological accuracy right well and also uh this is around the time that like you're getting like your diary of a wimpy kids uh i think Judy Moody was still really popular at the time so you had a lot of like children's fiction for this age that was very exaggerated. That was very like, golly, gee whiz, life sure is tough. Uh, as opposed to Ramona, which was far like, yeah, like you said, like far more interior as to what the problems were. So you got you had more books that were coming out and movies based on those books that were about kids getting into wacky scrapes. There's a sequence in here that's taken out of Ramona and her father were Ramona in uh, in the book, in a sort of a reverie, Ramona makes a crown for herself out of burrs. 
Yes. And and it's seen as her doing something terribly impractical because she is letting her imagination get away with her. And then she crashes down to Earth and she has to have all the burrs cut out of her hair. And it's a moment uh, of, of embarrassment for her, but it's also a moment that brings her closer to her father. Yeah. Now, in this movie, it's set in the context of Ramona wanting to get on a television commercial. Uh, and, and, and this is something that gets referenced a lot in Ramona and her father. This, father, yeah. yeah this, this daydream that Ramona has that she's going to somehow become a child star and make a million dollars by being on a cat food commercial. And, of course, nothing ever comes of it because Ramona does not live anywhere near the right. centers of commercial production in the United States. But in this movie, somehow... Portland, <laughs> in po Portland, in it, quote unquote, Portland, in Portland, there, it is ground zero for a a uh, commercial that does promise to pay the child who they they choose one million dollars. Yes, uh, and so she makes this tiara as a sort of a makeshift costume. And that's all weird and strange, but what's even weirder and stranger is the scene ends with her tripping and falling into an enormous peanut butter sandwich. Right. And so Ramona's imagination is no longer the strangest thing in this universe. Right. <laughs> well, I'll say this. If I was a casting director for this ad and Ramona came in and did what she did in this movie... I would be like, we're changing the direction of these ads. <laughs> like, it's like it, she comes in like like any of those famous commercial children from like Emmanuel Lewis to the kid who played Mikey. Like, it's that kid who shows up for auditions and you're like, oh, my gosh, we have a kid we can build an entire campaign around. Like the other girls are all bland, blonde princesses. And then Joey King, who I am going to go on record as saying is an incredible Ramona. Oh, definitely. Like, she definitely. is picture perfect she nails it you know she's dealing with a weird script but when she nails it she's great and i'm like if this kid had walked in to my commercial audition i'd be like well here's our princess she made her own costume and she's funky and weird heck yeah but they immediately dismiss her because that part of the story is over this story again picks up little bits and pieces out of Almost every Ramona book there is, mm. including the sequence with, with in which Ramona squeezes out a tube of toothpaste. Where she throws up in class. <laughs> but the thing about all these those sequences like the that are in in the books, a lot of the importance. I mean, there's nothing really particularly interesting about watching a child squeeze out a tube of toothpaste. What's interesting about the way it's described in the book is Ramona's resolve and interior life and what she's thinking uh, up to the point that she squeezes out this tube of toothpaste. Right. In, in, in the, in the uh, movie, she just does it and then walks out and her dad walks in and kind of goes, huh? And it's sort of like, okay, tick that one off the box yep. of, of famous Ramona scenes. Or they take famous Ramona scenes like Ramona dresses up as a firefighter, Ramona gets sick, and like combine them because we have to do Ramona wearing her pajamas to school, but we also have to do Ramona throwing up in class. And so they put both of those things together for no reason because she ne it never, the whole like I'm dressed up I have my pajamas on under my clothes never comes to anything except maybe it makes her warm. But she was sick anyway. We knew that from the beginning of the scene. She was legitimately ill and she throws up in band class. Uh, so it's like they're trying to put so many things that we expect into a Ramona movie, which we haven't said yet, is basically Ramona forever sort of combined with incidents from the last book. Like the baby is already there. And then like incident from previous books, but it's mostly Ramona forever. There's also the through line from Ramona and her father, because a lot of oh, the, right. a lot of the story deals with uh, the father. Now, now I, I mentioned before we started re recording this, um, 
I I expected to be thrown by Selena Gomez as uh, Beezus, but I had no idea that John Corbett uh, played uh, <laughs> Ramona's father. And oh my God, it feels so wrong. I, now John Corbett is a is a known actor, right? Like he's been the lead on uh, what what is it? Like he was he was in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. He was in a uh, well, Parenthood TV series. He was on. Was he on uh, Northern Exposure? Right. He 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 broke out in Northern Exposure. Yeah. Uh, as the uh, DJ of the of the small town in Alaska, who was famous for being sexually attractive to every woman in the town, and he was also. Um, the other boyfriend in Sex and the City, aside from oh, right. Big, he was Aiden. And it's it's these, you know, I, I like John Corbett fine as an actor, <laughs> but, you know, we've said this before about Mr. Quimby. Mr. Quimby is a very, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a kind of, uh, I, I always thought of him as more like the, the Harry Dean Stanton. Yep. That he, he, he's a, he's a sad sack. He's a little bit worn down. He's smoked too much in his life. Um, yeah, he's a seventies dad. He's a seventies dad. And, 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 and John Corbett is a really good looking, and by this point, middle-aged guy who, you know, I don't. I I get the feeling he's there for the moms, the audience. Right. Yeah. Well. So this movie, one of the one of the production houses behind this movie is Walden Media, and so much of this movie looks like it was cast to be a very safe, uh, like almost Hallmark movie. Like it comes across as a as a as a slightly larger budgeted television film because you have uh, Bridget Moynihan as the mom. You have John Corbett as the dad. You have Jennifer Goodwin as Aunt Beatrice uh, and uh, and uh, what's his face uh, as as Hobart. Um, uh, I don't know how you say his name. Josh Duhamel, Duhamel, Duhamel. I can't think of it. <laughs> but these very attractive people. Right. Um, they look like they're so they're clean shaven or if they're not they're it's perfectly sculpted beards. And it's this version of Portland that does not exist as far as I know. Uh, it's it's so it's just everything is super tidy. Their house is beautiful. It doesn't look like anyone's ever had a problem with money. Um, right. And, and, and picky picky who uh, right. does die in this this film because of Very course quickly. he has to die. Uh, you know, it, it looks the picture of health. Yes, yes. A beautiful cat, yeah. a wonderful coat, shiny. Like This is not the busted up cat that you're... Like, you, I've always sort of got the image that Picky Picky was kind of like Ramona's dolls, like a little filthy and just hanging in there. <laughs> uh, but this is a Picky Picky who loves sleeping on Ramona's bed, apparently. Uh, loves hanging out with Ramona, loves staring at whatever's happening off camera. And then just like, there's no indication that Picky Picky's not feeling well. But like you said, they have to have Picky Picky die. So Ramona finds him and they skip the two best moments of that sequence, which is Ramona and Beezus burying Picky Picky. Uh, suddenly Picky Picky is six feet under and neither child has a bit of dirt on her. Uh, and also the bit where they tell the parents about Picky Picky. Uh, it cuts right to the parents, just the mom just going, oh, you poor, poor girls. And I'm like, those are the two best, most emotional moments of the scene is when the girls come back together as partners and when the parents find out what their daughters did for them. And I feel like that's kind of when the movie slows down is when they're dealing with uh, Hobart and Aunt Beatrice. Like they're the two characters we get like the most... <laughs> Right. Real like character development, like everything that wasn't in the books about Aunt B and Hobart, like falling back in love is explicit in this movie. When we were reading Ramona Forever, uh, I, I, I thought it was a little bit funny the way that the romance between Hobart and Beatrice played in the margins of the page. There were yeah. these these there were these wonderful little 
observations. They were the observations that a child could make but not understand that the adult reading could understand stood in for a lot of the adult relationship that was happening there. Yeah. Um, there's a weird thing that happens in this movie, which is the point of view shifts entirely away from Ramona uh, in, in a couple of places. And we're privy to conversations between Beatrice and Hobart that Ramona is not privy to. And um, this is not a, a Robert Altman film where we have <laughs> hundreds of characters and all of them get a, a point of view. No, we, we, this is Ramona's story. She she gets a, an, a, an honest to God voiceover to start this, you know. So we're we're situated in her head, but then suddenly, like in the sequence where Ramona is washing the jeep, and Hobart and Beatrice are inside the jeep, we get this long conversation about what their relationship used to be and what it could be again and, and, and there's no reason for that I, I mean but by which i mean there's no occasion for that it's like right. the, suddenly it's it's sort of like the 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 directorial eye suddenly decided oh well, this is not going to be a story about ramona anymore but now it's going to be a story about Beatrice and and Hobart. Well, I think it's because like that's where the drama is uh, be, because they because they're in such a rush to get through all the Ramona antics. You don't have time for any of the Ramona development, but you do have time for Aunt Beatrice and Hobart uh, because a it's Jennifer Goodwin as Aunt Beatrice. This is right before she started uh, on uh, Once Upon a Time. She had just done Big Love and. So she's just about to break out as this big ABC star. Um, audiences will also know her as Judy Hopps from Zootopia. But I think she gets cast and it's just like she is the she is the personification of charm. It's like sweetness, uh, which is why she got cast as Snow White. And and I think you can't. You can't not use her well, like in a movie. You have to give her stuff to do. You have to get these two beautiful human beings a lot of romantic scenes together uh, because you got them. And and the kid's story is just a bunch of incident. Right. Well, the other couple that gets a lot of romantic time in this <laughs> is uh, is Beezus and Henry. Henry, our fi finally alive action Henry Huggins. I bet there's a lot of great scenes that, with like a lot of Easter eggs, like him and his and his and his dog Ribsy probably shows up. You probably get some references to uh, his paper route or like his clubhouse, something like that. It's Henry Huggins. Right. No, it's it's really weird because. Um, Henry keeps making reference to things that happened in the books. You know, he is a kind of a, a little fountain of Easter eggs for people who yeah. read the books. But he makes mention uh, of things that happened off camera. But, you know, the 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 funny thing about that for me is when we were reading the Ramona books, we talked about the sort of slow uh, disappearance of Henry, that he was there in the yeah. early Ramona books. And then he starts to just become a side note or something that people just mention in passing. And as, as sad as that is, that is uh, very realistic to some of the ways that people, the, the kids fall out uh, of, of touch with each other. People who were good friends when they were in grade school, you know, maybe they ju it just doesn't carry over to high school, particularly uh, for boy girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> and but in this case, no. Uh, we, 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 Henry comes crashing back with a vengeance. No uh, Ribsy, though. No Ribsy, no. Which I assume they're like, well, this dog would have been much old. Like, <laughs> we can't, like, it would have been awkward to shoehorn this, like, 20-year-old dog into the story. Right, right. But he's played by Hutch Dano, um, star of Zombievers, <laughs> uh, also known as Hutchings, Hutchings Royal Hutch Dano, the, uh, the grandson of uh, famous actor Royal Dano. But wait, here, who, who's Royal Dano? Sorry, <laughs> Royal Dano was a uh, was like a character actor from like the 1940s. Uh. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's got like he's one of those people who has like a ton of credits, like just a ton of credit, like a big working character actor. 
Um, but if you're wondering how Hutch Dano got famous, it's because he comes from a family of Hollywood actors. Uh, if you were wondering, but what's this is like to me one of the biggest sticking points because most of the characters in this movie are really weird versions of the book characters. Like Howie is super friendly and outgoing and very supportive of Ramona, except in the one scene where he refuses to like tell the class that there was a hole chopped in her wall. Like other than that, he's just a generic, nice, supportive friend. Unlike the Howie we know from the books, who's like weird and sullen and introverted. Uh, Beezus. Uh, in this book is 16 years old, which is considerably older than Beezus is supposed to be. Uh, she's also played by, as we said, Selena Gomez, who was famous for being an incredibly pretty young woman. Uh, and so they had to change the character of Beezus explicitly into being one of the most popular girls at school. So instead of being closer to an Ali Sheedy in The Breakfast Club, which is what she's edging towards in the books, she's more the Molly Ringwald. So they kind of try to pull this whole like, you don't know what it's like to be so popular like me and have nobody really understand who you are. The only one who does is Henry Huggins. And it's a really weird dynamic for Beezus to have. It's not just that Selena Gomez is... Uh, is too pretty to be Beezus because I, you could have a you could have a pretty right, Beezus. Right. It's that she is way too fashionable. Oh yeah, that's the that's the thing that I mean. She looks like she's walked off of a the the, the set of a made for TV Disney movie, and that she's there to be an aspirational character for all the girls who are watching. They're like, oh, I one day I will have the style and grace of Selena Gomez. Beezus is not that. Yeah. She's a girl who worries about her hair because she can't have the same hairstyles as friends, which, of course, leads me into the, the other point, which is that these Quimby's, I think I mentioned this earlier, have never hurt for money. <laughs> like this house is beautiful. It's beautifully decorated. It's beautifully furnished. The kids wear fun fashions. The parents are dressed always nicely. The yard is beautiful. The neighborhood is really nice. Uh, and even when the dad loses his job, even though it, they, it gets paid lip service by the kids, you never really feel like they're in any kind of financial danger. The, it just life just goes on as normal. And and. And I think Beezus's fashion sense plays into that. Like these aren't kids who are shopping at the bargain rack. These are kids who just wear what popular kids are supposed to wear. Because, again, like you said, like they want her to be an aspirational teen for the for the for the girls in the audience to look up to. And they, she wants to go to Macaroni Joe's. As you say, <laughs> Ramona is, is wonderful in this. Yes. Uh, for for however for whatever reason Joey King is able to actually channel Ramona and that's a hard thing to do uh, because as we've said so much of Ramona's voice in the books is interior yeah and there's not a lot of interiority Joey in, King star of the movie Slender Man by right, the way right well uh, in in the replacement of um, of sort of long paragraphs of interior monologue. What we have are these uh, flights of fancy that, yeah. that Ramona has, which are uh, projected into a uh, sort of a diorama world made up of cotton ball clouds and little tilt shifted uh, neighborhoods. And it's not without its charms, but it's also pretty generic at this point that's the other thing that feels very much of the time that the, yeah the, this kind of the, the the special effect that is designed to look um artificial yes and it's stuff that would be it's a it's a, a technique that would be done to much greater effect in like the paddington movies Right. Uh, particularly the first one uh much later on like it's that kind of like we're escaping into work but it's also what they managed to avoid doing in the TV series, where they also illustrated Ramona's flights of fancy, but they kept it weirdly grounded enough 
that it because like these flights of fancy get so large and so outrageous that it's like, OK, OK, we, we get pull back a little bit like that's This isn't why we came to Ramona. Uh, and it reminds me when they made that bridge to Terabithia movie in the 2000s and they illustrated the fantasies of the kids so much. And then they sold it on that, that people actually thought it was like a Lord of the Rings type book because they they went so overboard with the flights of fancy. And so you get like Ramona going to like over the over the jungle gym rings and how he's like, come on, Ramona. And then suddenly she thinks she's like over a chasm full of lava and the camera pulls back and the rings are like yards apart from each other. And she starts screaming and then she gets her feet caught in the rings and she's hanging upside down. And uh, then she's still out on the playground uh, when the bell rings and right. like, oh, that that's our Ramona. And that's when uh, Sandra O oh, as <laughs> as the the meanest teacher in the world, <laughs> right? Now Sa- Sandra O oh, again is a, a, a fine actress, given yeah. very little to do in this film other than to be severe. She uh, is, she is like, she is angry at being a teacher in the first half <laughs> of this movie. Like the kids, like she sees Ramona out on the playground, and you expect her to be like, "Oh, Ramona." Instead, she's like. What are you doing up there? You get down this instant. And like the class is like looking and she's like face forward. You know, the like, and I'm like, Miss Meech, I'm like, calm down. Like, is, you're, how long have you been teaching? <laughs> yeah, it's jarring. It's jarring. I, I, I guess uh, director Elizabeth Allen was just like, just be angry. Be angry at these kids. Give Ramona something to act against. Right. But there's right. never any sense that like Ramona wants this teacher's love. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I would say if the, there's one thing that that really sinks this movie for me is it makes a lot of uh, very generic choices mm-hmm. and how how generic it has in its soundtrack, both walking on sunshine and not, uh, not the Katrina and the waves not, walking not, on sunshine. Uh, right, right. <laughs> and uh, it has uh it has eternal flame um and 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 in both of these cases i feel like these are choices again aimed at the moms uh in in the audience you know because they they're sort of like i think what they're doing is they're subtracting 30 from the year and yeah. saying oh okay what was big in 1980 and I mean, it has a couple of other songs that are okay. It has has a song by Selena Gomez over the credits, oh, yes. which I promptly forgot uh, after, after that. But but um, but I just feel like a lot of the choices are choices that are typical of kids' movies in the in this era. And as you say, the 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 TV show. One of the things that I, I appreciated about the fantasies that Ramona would go into there was they were based upon cliches from movies and television. Yeah. And that made sense because that was what Ramona's character was. Ramona yeah. is Ramona has an active imagination, but it's also an imagination that uses as its fodder like the 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 worst uh commercials she's seen and the and 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 just what she's 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 watched a lot of television basically this was a this was these were books that were written in the 70s and they they were written about latchkey kids in the 70s they watched a lot of tv so they ended up seeing a lot of uh old sitcoms a lot of old movies and that's where the movie the 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 uh fantasies came from here the fantasies are just like we 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 got, you know, uh, a new intern who just learned After Effects. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's 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 flights of fancy for the sake of flights of fancy. Um, uh, in, in case the audience is a little confused as to like what's happening in the like I'm looking at like my notes and I, I started just writing down like what happens, like bits from the book that they work in. So you have like Willa Jean just being like a vindictive little weirdo. You have Mrs. Kemp being uh, stern. You've got the girls being scared of their report cards. You've got Beezus learning French. You've got the toothpaste scene. You've got uh, Beezus hating her name. You've got the how hole being broken in the wall. You've got Ramona getting her own room. Ramona being afraid of her own room. The 
cracking your egg on the forehead, getting the peas spit in her face, the photographer saying, say peas. Uh, you've got uh, 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 Ramona wearing the firefighter stuff. You got Ramona getting sick, Ramona throwing up. You've got Picky Picky, you got Picky Picky dying. You've got Ramona trying to earn money. You've got the longest picture in the world. You've got Susan, you've got Ramona pulling Susan's hair right before she throws up. Like so many things just get mashed all together. There's so much happening. Like I, I, at one point I was just like, there's so many just little instances that they tried to smash into. It's like they knew they weren't getting a sequel out of this. <laughs> so they're like, we're just we have to do every single Ramona book that's ever been. We've got Ramona wanting to put one foot in Oregon, one foot in Washington. <laughs> at one point, the parents get in a fight and the dad sleeps on the couch and then like, that's it. But you do have the conversation about the parents maybe getting a divorce. You got the crown of burrs. You've got them making dinner and Ramona burning dinner. Uh, something about Hobart digging up a time capsule in his backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> oh, that was strange. You've got Ramona covering Hobart's entire truck with paint. It's there's so much. And this movie is only an hour and a half right. long. Well, well, all the stuff that they added, things like uh, covering the truck with paint, those are all straight out of Nickelodeon. They're, yes. They're, they're oh, yeah. all like the, these big, broad, slapsticky, stupid things. Um, but the, but when they pull in all these sequences from the books, for example, the pulling the hair, pulling Susan's hair, they just added that in. Yep. And and and, and the the. Uh, instigating factor there was that Howie was playing a jaw harp uh, incorrectly, by the way, yes. I, as, as someone who as someone who owns a jaw harp, you, they, <laughs> as someone gonna, who owned a Snoopy jaw harp, <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to get a sound out of it the way he was doing that. You have to you have to hold it up against your teeth. It actually yeah. it has to rattle against your skull to make that sound. In, yeah. in, in any case, uh, she's hearing this <laughs> boing boing and she pulls Susan's hair. And Susan turns around and is mildly perturbed. Yeah. That's it. She's and, like, don't do that. And she said, oh, you've been doing this for years. And in the book, this was a, a, a big moment. It was a moment where Ramona felt out of control herself. It was a moment that Susan played up for as much sympathy as she could. It it uh, it it completely turned the two of them into antagonists for the rest of the book. And it happened in kindergarten. Yeah, right. Yes. So, but, but, but here it's just like, why is it even here if it has no emotional content? Well, also Susan is like portrayed as kind of the, uh, this is my, my old reference, but uh, in Punky Brewster, there was a character named Margot who is like the curly haired, blonde, you know, little so-and-so, but who is part of the group of friends. And you never understood why she was a friend of theirs because she was super rich, super snotty, and everyone hated her. But she was there for laughs. And Susan is portrayed as that in this movie. Like she sits with them at lunch and just mercilessly ridicules Ramona. And so Ramona reaches down during band practice and like boing Susan's curl. And Susan turns around. She's like, cut it out. But this is also the scene where Ramona is very sick and is going to throw up. And if you know the books, you know Ramona's about to throw up. I was I thought she was going to throw up on Susan, which sounds gross, but would have been what happens in this kind of movie. And I was disappointed that it didn't happen. <laughs> I wanted her to throw up all over Susan. Um, there's also a really very this is this to me is very Nickelodeon. Uh so because the main story of the movie is is Aunt B falling in love with Hobart and the ups and downs of their relationship, uh, which we follow with in great detail, they have a falling out, of course, and they're the so the father gets a job offer, but they may ha they're going to have to move just like happens in which book does that happen in? Is that uh, is that earlier or later? I don't know if that actually happens in the book. I think it does. He, oh, really? he he gets a he gets a job offer, and eventually he's like, "Oh no, I'm going to work at the grocery store instead, or something." And right. and they're like, "But you hate that job." And he's like, "Hey, sometimes you just got to take the just life is terrible, kids. I'm a 1970s dad." And so in the movie, they're going to have to move a few hours away. So they're selling their house. They're getting the house ready to sell, and they're fixing up the yard or whatever. And the Kemps, meanwhile, are fixing up their, or doing something in their yard. And a water fight starts between 
Ramona and Hobart, but Hobart thinks it's B that did it. So he starts shooting water at B, and eventually the whole family erupts into a big water fight. But that includes Mrs. Kemp, the grandmother, who up to this point has been nothing but like a sourpuss. And then all of a sudden you see her gleefully engaging in this like raucous water fight. And I was like, that's what would happen in like a 1995 Nickelodeon movie. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason, but as soon as the water fight or the food fight or the dance party starts, everyone's just dancing. Uh, and it and it, it's really a weird like this does not happen in a Ramona book kind of moment. Like it's just it's just there because the kids are probably getting restless and you need something big and wacky to happen just to get their attention again. Real people don't act this way. And Again, I, I have nothing against uh, broad comedies or, you know, I, the aforementioned Spy Kids is one of my favorite kids films because yeah. I, I like the fact that it goes really weird for a kids movie. <laughs> yeah. But Ramona was always about really examining what motivates people and particularly Ramona. And... Uh, and even the sequences they add in here, the sequences between Hobart and B, they don't really ring true to any kind of uh, relationships I've I've <laughs> known in my life. They're well, they're all, very, it, they are very movie of the week. They were together, and then Hobart decided he wanted to leave town because he didn't want to settle down or something like that, and that was the that was the conflict. Right. And he gave her a he gave her a ring from a gumball machine, and but now he's apparently very rich because he's a wildlife photographer in this version. He doesn't work with oil; he takes pictures. Of, he's a, like a nature photographer for like National Geographic, you know, one of those high paying jobs. <laughs> yeah, but in a kids movie, probably seems like the coolest thing in the world, right? Uh, which I'm not saying it's not. It's certainly cooler than what I do, but. Uh, Oh, don't and don't and don't think that for an instant that Ramona doesn't end up falling through a ceiling in this movie like she does in in the final Ramona book. She does in completely different circumstances. She does fall through the ceiling uh, when they're trying to show off their house to sell. And that's just that happens. And the parents are annoyed and then it's forgotten about because that just needed to happen. Uh, and what ends up happening with the father, though, is he ends up getting offered a job at Ramona's school as the art teacher which he acknowledges is a low paying job and it's only part time. So I'm like, okay, your problem is still there, sir. <laughs> but also it completely undermines to me, the theme of all the Ramona books, which is life is not always fair. And you like, you don't get what you want all the time. Like the, the like you just, you've just got to do your best, but you know, daddy doesn't get to be an artist because you got a family to raise and He's got to work in the grocery store. And in this one, it's like they kind of like really soften it by letting him. Ramona takes the longest picture in the world to school and she shows it off for show and tell because she's been accused of lying. And so she has to like re up her cred with Mrs. Meacham. And Mrs. Meacham is so blown away by how good of an artist Mr. Quimby is that she somehow gets him a job as like an assistant art teacher in an elementary school. Uh, and, but even when Ramona goes to thank her for it at the wedding, Mrs. Meacham is like, hmm, whatever. And I'm like, come <laughs> on, like, just give us, give us this. Cause Mrs. Meacham is just, she's cold. She's so cold. Well, you know, Mrs. Meacham had to have like, uh, worked around the teachers union to get him that job. So <laughs> he has no degree. He has no, he has no educational degree. He has no, he has no, uh, employment history, no seniority. And yet he jumped the line over, I, I guess, uh, a couple dozen out of work. I, I have elementary a feeling, school teachers. I have a feeling part-time art teacher is really come volunteer in my <laughs> class. I'll pay you a little something every time you come in <laughs> right. twice a week. I can, I can afford 50 bucks a, a session. Also, you get to coach seventh grade volleyball. Yes. <laughs> uh, Willa Jean, uh, is, all she does in this movie is she rides her big wheel around and knocks people, knocks into people with her big wheel. But she does get to be the flower girl at the wedding riding her big wheel. Uh, also, this entire wedding is apparently planned in less than three days because they have 
from the proposal up until the wedding, up until they leave is a three day time period. So they do that. It's that also that kids movie thing where it's like, well, of course we can find a church and order the flowers and get the dresses fit and made in three days. Like in the books, they had time. There wasn't much time, but they had time. And this just compresses everything so much that it, 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 it's it's just a, a plot torrent by the end of it. And of course, it's 2010. So it ends with a dance sequence. There's a big dance party at the end. Uh, oh, and we also get a reference. So it also has the scene where Ramona runs away from home and her mom fills the bag with bowling balls, uh, which is from Ramona and her mother, I think. And Ramona opens the bag and there's a book in there that her father has done flip books in the pages of and all the father's art is very uh reminiscent of alan t green's art uh it's not exactly it but it's close enough to make readers of the books be like oh it's supposed to be alan t green uh and the flip book is of the scene where ramona got her boots stuck in the mud in ramona the past yeah uh, yeah i mean you can't fault them for not trying to get everything in oh yeah they read the books oh and Beezus refers to her as a pest the entire movie so uh yeah. Oh, and uh, and instead of Beezus getting angry at Ramona for calling her pizza face because it's Selena Gomez and she has like an artificially constructed face like stamped <laughs> out of like a Disney mold. Uh, it's it's because essentially Ramona cock blocks her <laughs> with Henry Huggins, which keeps happening. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, come on. Like, I don't want to know about like. But they're like hormony teenagers in this. It's not Beezus, a junior high school student who's like insecure. It's Beezus who's like trying to get with Henry Huggins and Henry Huggins who's trying to get with Beezus. Like it's 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 there's a whole other storyline going on here. On top of all that, I would say that the film is a little too long. Um, How long is it? I, I thought it was like, 90 minutes. It's is, like, no, it's like, um, it's like an hour and 45 or something like that. It was. Yeah. 102 minutes. It's a little, it's a little long. It's, it's. But maybe that was just because um, I wasn't finding anything to really light on. I, I, I mean, as, as we've said, whenever Ramona is on screen herself. Yeah. Uh, she's great. And she's, and, and. And thank God, because that that is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, I don't I just when it when it switches over to be in Hobart, though, it's <laughs> it's um, it's not just that it's an adult uh, romance, but it's also an adult romance by way of the Hallmark Channel. It's like there's no there's no uh, there's no real um, stakes there. Yeah. You aren't worried that they're going to find out that Hobart broke Beatrice's heart by having slept with Ramona's mother at one point or something like that. <laughs> wow, you know, that a very different movie. No, I'm just saying that there's there's no actual stakes. There's right. nothing. There's nothing he did that is actually a horrible thing to do to another person. And there's nothing that she did. They're they're apart because the story needs them to be apart. Yeah. And then you have this whole thing of like, can these, will these two single, incredibly attractive people find each other incredibly attractive? Yes. <laughs> yes, they will. Will a man find Jennifer Goodwin attractive? Well, it happens. <laughs> Guess what? It happens. Um, now, I watched this movie twice. I saw it in August when we were originally going to do it. Uh, and I watched it the other day. And I watched it with Mitzi the second time I watched it because I was, uh, a, we're, you know, all stuck in the house together. And B, I was really curious to see, like, what a child who was the target age would think of this movie, especially a child who does not exist in 2010, but who lives in 2020. And I'm going to say Mitzi, who has read all the Ramona books, Mitzi loved it. Ah. Uh, she was completely engaged. She was grossed out by all the kissing. But she was delighted by the wackiness, the the humor, the the incident. Uh, when Ramona cracked the egg on her head, Mitzi yelled out, oh, no, even though she knew it was going to happen. She was like, I knew this. They're going to do the egg. Uh, and she loved the ending. She loved the the sweetness of it. And so I'm going to say that it appeals to its target audience. Uh, 
the exaggerated quality of it works. It reminds me a lot of the 1990s Harriet the Spy movie, which lacks the rough and tumble edge of the books. Because if you've read the Harriet the Spy books in any of the books in that series, like they they go dark and they don't always pull up out of it very easily. But the 90s movie is a lot more whimsical, uh, even though it does have an edge to it. It's a lot more whimsical. Uh, and this movie is kind of a piece with that where it's it sha- it smooths out the rough edges and and cartoonifies a lot of the characters motivations just to make it easier and more palatable for a child. Um, and I'm going to and I'm going to say that I actually enjoyed it more the second time. Maybe it's just my life situation right now, like everything going on. But I did get teary eyed uh, at the end uh, and had to, like, pull myself back from the edge when, like, all the happiness was happening, because I was like, darn it, those Quimby's just they just deserved a good they deserved a good one good thing to happen to them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, the the movie this reminded me most of was um, the movie adaptation of Matilda, because that was oh, another yeah. another film that was extremely broad. Although it, it's it's hard to, I mean, Roald Dahl is extremely broad, broad but, he's ex- yeah. but he's extremely broad in a different way. He's he's mm-hmm. he's broad in this arch. 1960s 1970s british um a sort of a, a a there's certainly a cruelty that comes through that and uh-huh. it always reminds me of like um oh what's the you know the the um uh, what's his name Ronald Steer, the guy who did um saint trinian's the uh, the 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 cartoonist um there's there's just a, there's just a, a cruelness and and a a strangeness a sort of a but it's sort of a mod uh, feel to it too. Uh-huh. The the Matilda film was not that at all. The Matilda film was a, just a wacky Nickelodeon film. Yeah. But it had an incredible child actor, Mara Wilson, yeah, a, a, as Matilda, and she just embodied the character in a way. That was not the way I had pictured it from the book, but when she performed it, I was like, "Okay, this is Matilda now." Yes, um, uh, and I, and similarly, this is a wacky, not great film, but it has an incredible performance. Uh, Joey, Joey, Joey King. King. Yes. Well, I'm gonna say, I was gonna say that uh, Harriet the Spy, which came out one month before Matilda, uh, in fact, it came out on July 10th, 1996, and I saw it for my birthday. Um, I was in college. <laughs> that was it was my birthday present. I went to go see Harriet the Spy with my best friend. And uh, uh, Matilda and Harriet the Spy both have very strong female leads because Harriet the Spy was Michelle Trachtenberg uh, in her first like starring role and Mara Wilson in Matilda. And yeah, Joey King in, in this uh, strong three performances that are strong enough that they really overcome to me a lot of the a lot of the the stumbling points of the films themselves. Although I think I hold Matilda in slightly higher regard than you do. <laughs> I like Danny DeVito's direction. I, I, I mean, I, I think it I think it was a, a good film. I think it was a good film. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, they're both they're both very like Nickelodeon y uh uh like styles of adapting something where you throw in a lot of like you throw in a lot of suspiciously old music uh i don't know why like matilda does that and harriet the spy does that like i think harriet the spy ends up ends with like like a james brown song or something and matilda has a little bitty pretty one like as like it's like central like piece of music and i'm like who are you appealing to like the kids don't care uh, is it just because that's who the producers like think when they think music is like these really old pieces of music? I don't know. Um, but the director of Beezus and Ramona went on to direct um, one, I think, one last film. She mostly does television. Uh, 2015's Careful What You Wish For, uh, an erotic thriller uh, inspired by the movie Body Heat. Starring one of the Jonas Brothers <laughs> and Dolma Maroney. <laughs> so 
I don't know. She is such an she's such an interesting uh, she's made four feature films. Eddie Eyeball short film short, short film Eddie Eyeball. She made Aquamarine in 2006, uh, which is, of course, what gave them the, the idea to have her do Ramona because Aquamarine is like teenage girls. Uh, and I think maybe once they attached Elizabeth Allen to Ramona, that's when they were like, well, we'll just make this for teenagers. And uh, then uh, an erotic thriller. So uh, uh, also Joey King was in The Conjuring. That's another movie that she's known for. She's in The Conjuring. So, uh, yeah, just she's in actually a bunch of movies that you just you would see in like bad movie podcasts. So <laughs> Joey, which is a shame because I think Joey King is actually a pretty strong actor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this uh, podcast will start a revival uh, of her of her career I, I mean i don't know she's probably doing fine she's doing fine she's doing better than me uh music by mark Mothersbaugh, by the way yeah uh everyone's favorite journeyman musician who like will pretty much score any movie he's asked to but create some of the most compelling film music of the last 20 years and also did the ramona soundtrack so i don't know mark Mothersbaugh. <laughs> like seriously like mark Mothersbaugh is an incredible like film uh, film score writer uh but he will just he will do he will do he will do anything just anything so i don't know <laughs> well this has been a rambling uh episode and but it's, it's been good to talk to you again about uh beverly cleary related things although this was only tangentially beverly cleary yeah yeah i mean yeah she certainly didn't supervise this one like she did the tv series uh, it got pretty decent reviews. Uh, I think film.com said that the resulting story is a jumble. There are too many side characters, but golly, if it isn't pretty darn infectious. Um, and I think that like, I think that at the end of the day is what it is. It's, it's, there's too much going on. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is, it does have its charm. It's charming. Uh, it does play like a Walden movie. Like if, if, they had gone to church in the end and like prayed and like that solved their problems. I wouldn't have been surprised because, uh, because it just, it it's, it's along those lines. Um, walking on sunshine was performed by Ali and AJ and there's an okay go song in it. Also a Michael Franti and spearhead song in it. So again, I don't know what tone they were trying to hit with Beezus and Ramona. <laughs> It's just it's it's a really weird it's a really strange way it's on Amazon Prime that's how I saw it I got it on Amazon Prime it's not free I had to pay for it but uh, if you got kids and you're stuck at home and you're looking for something to watch you could do worse there's nothing that's going to be offensive about this movie also if you're stuck at home and you got kids you can actually read uh, <laughs> be it Beverly Clary. There's a ton of books. Uh, there's a ton of books, and there are even a couple left that we are going to go into. Uh, it, well, next time are we going to finally get to her autobiography? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Why not? Let's find out about that girl from Yam Hill. Okay. Well, it'll probably be at this rate sometime <laughs> in 2041 right. that we get to it. But um, but but with any any luck, we'll 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 have it out sooner. Uh, it's hey Phil, it's really good to talk to you. It's been great to talk to you, John. And where can our where can our listeners find you? Well, uh, I when I ha when I find the time, I do the podcast Sophomore Lit which just recently passed 100 episodes. Uh, and uh, so that's on the, the same network, the Incomparable Network. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me. I do a podcast called Deep in Bear Country, where I cover the books and the works of Stanley and Janice Berenstain, the Berenstain bear people. Uh, and I also have a podcast called It's Del Toro Time. It's a Guillermo del Toro podcast that I do with my teenager, Ollie. And uh, we're now doing the movies that inspired del Toro throughout his career. And we just covered uh, the last, the two uh, Three Musketeers films directed by Richard Lester from the 1970s. That was a... Also, if you're looking for something to watch on Amazon Prime, you could do worse than sitting through three hours of musketeer action. <laughs> okay. Well, Is that it? Uh, Is that it. Are we done with the show? We're done. We're done. We'll see All you right. next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Clicketcast is brought to you by the Incomparable Network. Speaking of the Incomparable Network, 
This is the time of the year when we remind you about how you can support this podcast by becoming a member of The Incomparable. You can sign up for a monthly or annual pledge to support this podcast directly. Here's what you do. Go to theincomparable.com forward slash members and sign up. You'll then be asked to pick the shows on the network you'd like to support. If you just check the box for ClickCast, your contribution will come to us after a few fees are taken out. If you listen to other podcasts on the Incomparable Network, you can also check their boxes, and your contribution will be shared equally by all the shows you want to support. As a thank you for supporting us, members receive lots of extras. There's exclusive bonus audio, a bootleg podcast where you can hear unedited episodes of shows right after they're recorded, and a members-only community. Since this is a pledge season, many of the shows on the network will be posting bonus episodes just for members. There are contribution levels at $5, $10, and $20 per month, and annual equivalents are available as well. We even take Apple Pay. And if you're already a member, it's easy to increase your pledge to a higher level and get some special goodies in return. So if you'd like to support us, go to theincomparable.com members to sign up. Thanks.